Hello all, welcome to another episode of uh, DirectShift Stories. And today again, we are joined by our COO, Wamshi, uh, with our exclusive special guest, Alicia Karnow. Probably if I could have drum roll, I would play it virtually here. So Alicia is an experienced nurse leader um, who is a clinical implementation consultant and a nurse informaticist who understands the role of executive nurse leaders as well as the impact of healthcare on the lives of nurses. Over to you, Vamshi. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. Thanks uh, for making yet another episode happen. Um, I usually am the one speaking and presenting our guests, but I want all of our audience to know there's a lot of background work happens here and Raj is the main reason why all of this is possible today. Um, so take a moment to thank you Raj for this. And now my favorite moment, this is actually my big favorite moment. We are celebrating a lot this month. We are celebrating our frontline workers, healthcare workers, we continue to do that. We are in the business of serving our frontline healthcare workers helping them find job and staffing opportunities. So our mission uh, is very strong because of them and for them. We celebrate them, continue to celebrate them. We are also celebrating Black History Month, like we have promised. We are presenting and projecting many influential, experienced and successful uh, Black leaders on our platform for the entirety of this month. I, nursing is a profession that is very close to my heart especially because my healthcare journey started because a CNO hired me uh, with respect to running a staffing office or using data and technology to run staffing operations. Uh, so that's why nursing as a profession is pretty close to me. So today I'm privileged to bring forward our special guest, Alicia Carnell, who is a nurse at heart, clinical implementation leader, a clinician, and a leader at the same time, as well as, as well as uh, uh, knows a lot of technologies and how technology has to serve the nursing practice. She has deep passion about how nursing leadership can actually make our communities safer and healthier. So without much further ado, I'm going to present to you all Alicia Carnell, and we are going to talk about a lot of exciting things, a lot of great things on this podcast. Uh, I can already see my head spinning with multiple things, but I do have a scripted uh, questions as well. But Alicia, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Um, please, I may not have done full justice to your profile. If you can take the next two minutes and tell our audience about your background, how you're here, and your experiences, your profile, we'll get started from there. Sure, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. Um, <clears throat> I started my healthcare journey as a certified nursing assistant. Um, and I, I answered an ad in the newspaper. That was originally how I got the job. Um, I was in college and uh, a friend of mine, my really, really good girlfriend, we wanted to get an apartment together. And I was told there was no money for an apartment. I could stay on campus or find a job. So that was my very first job. Um, I am, I have this doctorate in nursing practice. It is an executive leadership. Um, I took nursing very, very seriously. I love nursing practice and education, but I also, I was really interested into technology. Um, when I was around nine or 10 years old, my grandmother, I was very busy. Um, I actually do have an attention deficit. I was a very busy kid. I was always given books. 
um, to read, book reports to do. So I sat there, I would always have to go to the library. Those were my punishments. And one day my grandmother came across, um, she used to collect antiques. She came across a Commodore 64 and I am really gonna share my age by using that. But she gave it to me, an old TV, it had a programming book and she said, sit there, and figure that out. And I would spend hours and hours every day just reading through the programs, but that really was an introduction. Even though I didn't go the engineering route, I've always been interested in how technology works. How can we solution as a leader um, in nursing, uh, being going from the bedside to the hospital, uh, to nurse management, I looked at analytics from the types of patients we were admitting, what our patient acuity was, our scheduling, how many FTEs, our supplies, all of it. And every one of those things was supported by some type of application. And now moving into this role, I work at a SaaS company now, being a clinical consultant, I actually help guide and coach our nurse leaders on how to implement these products, what they're looking for, how those metrics can really help solve a problem. And it's not to put anyone out of a job. My role is to help actually, most of the clients I work with actually end up with another job because they've done such a great job managing technology and getting those answers that just like yourself, people start calling on them. Can you help me do this? How can you do that? So being able to manage a technology product and come up with a, a solution and also be a nurse leader, that is what I think is the vision um, as we move forward, especially after COVID um, and during this moment of being able to use these metrics and use these solutions for better care. So that's where, that's, that's a little bit about me all in a nutshell. I'm pretty fun and lively. Um, and I just enjoy this space so much and meeting new people, so great. Absolutely, Alicia, I, I totally, totally agree with you. To have fun and to enjoy what we love to do and what we want to do and what we actually do is such a critical factor, especially in, in this new age uh, where technology and other things could, could become overwhelming. Um, having said that, one key point, so from a kid with a potential attention deficit to a leader in a profession that in my opinion has and requires one of the highest attention to details. Tell us a little more about how that whole journey has happened. I know your grandmother gave you a lot of, a lot of tasks that helped you. Uh, what happened after that? How, how did you, the job that you actually chose to help you with some additional money for apartment renting, how did that become a passion and a profession? Um, I was never, I, I wouldn't say I wasn't allowed. Um, I think the expectation from my family was that I was going to study and, and do well. And there were, we had um, several members of my family who also had the same type of issue. And there was always like, that person did okay. They, they're doing fine. They have a job. So there's no reason why you're going to use this as an excuse. If you need extra time, that's fine. If And it was so, the irony was at the same time that I knew I was having this learning disability, I was studying really, really hard. And I have a good memory and I would just try and use it. The more that I studied, the more that in class, I remember being pulled out of class for testing. Um, and I didn't understand what the academic testing was 
I think it was in the third or fourth grade. My mother came and she said, they said you scored high on this. So now you get to go over here to this class. And at first I was like, but I don't want to be in, in some other class. I want to be in the class with all my friends. And um, so we were, I was taken out of class. It was an academically gifted program. And I went to go learn from everything from Egypt to NASA, totally great experience that I just love to learn. And every opportunity that I can have to just spend time learning something new, it is a very, it is a challenge. And it really feels like there's a, a brick wall or a mountain sometimes. And I just, I do a deep, heavy meditation. I've started, I've meditated for the last three years now, started studying that. Um, I used to meditate. I started doing it with my son. I would meditate with my son when he was little to help him visualize like the spelling test and the slowest thoughts. And, and I practiced it a little bit. Now I really do it every single day. It's really helpful. But just to be able to open my mind up and see the reality and the truth about things um, and to also remove myself, a lot of times in healthcare is very personal. And when I first started out, I was at a long-term care area and I experienced death that wasn't a person related to me, didn't know how to handle it. And I just kind of moved through it, but I know that I wanted to make sure the family felt okay with their person, you know, their family member dying. And I really started to look at the nurses as different, as people who had to do this really heavy job of not only helping to take care of patients, but also helping to take care of those families, people in their community, being seen as um, this heart compassionate person. And I wanted that. And initially I thought this was a cool way to make money. I was actually at a school for biology and I dropped out, which was not very, not a great thing in my household, but I picked up nursing instead. And when I picked that up, it was still that science of it. I was really interested and it was hard. Um, having a learning disability and going through nursing school is hard. A, I, I did not go to the to student services to get any help. I didn't understand that that was, I knew it was available, but I thought, but I passed, you know, I did well in college. I did well in high school. I, I don't believe that's a resource that I want to take from someone else because I know that I could just study harder um, and do this. I've failed tests before and have to come back and repeat and take it again. And I just kept trying. I doubt, I, don't do things in a mediocre way. I don't, it, I think I was born that way. I don't know when, I just want to learn it. I want to get through it and I want to make the best out of it. And I had such amazing mentors for nursing who were very much like, you know, the patient is the first, that's our priority. Um, no bias, no judgment. I took care of people who were in prison. Don't can't tell you who, why they were in prison. I've taken care of nearly every single population that we have in the United States. Um, so to be able to just say that this person is hurting or they need my help, and also as a hiring manager, changing someone's life when they were able to be, um, they would come and ask for a job. Um, I had so many people. Uh, a friend of mine just brought this up. Last night, actually, we were having a conversation. She said, you know, you should really be proud because you would I would see people that they would come in for an interview 
I had one individual one time, this young man, he became my uh, mentee. He came in and he said, I want to move. I want to make a better life for my family. I'm married. I, I'm young. I have a young family. And I, he didn't have but a couple of months of experience as a nursing assistant. I liked him. I was like, okay, that's fine. And when I came outside, he said, uh, we left out of my office. I shook his hand. He was getting on the, getting ready to go to the elevator. And he said, I would like for you to meet my family. And I thought he meant in the future, I want you to meet my family. He actually brought his family to the interview. They all had to come to the interview because his wife had to work and he scheduled the interview so that he could drop her off work and then go back home. An hour drive. He was driving an hour to the interview to drop her off because they wanted to move. And it's, it was stories like that that just really made me motivated. Um, even on the days I wanted to quit, the days I wanted to give up, I, and I said it wasn't worth it, you know, not the nursing aspect of it, just the amount of overwhelming stress you can sometimes have taking care of people. Um, and I started, you know, that's when afterwards I really started to dig into self-care and, and doing my meditation and doing things for myself first, because when you're in these roles, even now outside of the hospital, a lot of people rely on me and a lot of people trust me. And that's something that I worked really hard for. And so to be able to have that, I know that I have to eat well, I have to sleep well, I have to take care of myself because it's not going to stop. And right now, especially in COVID, um, I don't have as many clients as I would, I would normally have externally. But what's happened is internally, I have even more clients and people who want they want help with figuring out what do we do? How do we help everyone else? How do we prepare for this? And so I shifted from having two to five clients every single day to having one or two every week externally. But everybody inside of our teams right now are really working hard to make sure that we keep up um, with the needs and keep up with what our clients are asking. How do, how do I, they are all asking, how can we help them? From the tech side they're all asking all of us for solutions how do we help they're overwhelmed they're burdened they've been impacted by covid so bad and so now i'm just like you know sometimes i pray and i'm like why me and then the next day i'm like okay i see why obviously i have an answer didn't know i had had to think about it and i just want to do my best and i want people to feel their best but i also want and i want to be a part of the solution for covid um, and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of strength. I never thought that day I walked into Rex Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I completed a math test and a, and a reading test to be a nursing assistant, going from having to pay my, my apartment bill to actually sitting in this seat, having this conversation with you. To me, it seems like it was two years ago, but the reality of it is, is that I built all of that, I mean, and so many people that were there to help support me along this way is why we can have this conversation right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I think well said. You are a great example of what I think is missing in many of our training and education programs, which is the grit, you know, to be able to not quit when opportunities are presented to quit, to be able to persevere, to be able to pursue what you really think you stand for. And especially in a profession like nursing, I can only imagine and, and I truly appreciate that there are a lot of such instances where people can easily feel overwhelmed and then say enough is enough. 
to continue to evolve and become a leader in the space i advocate for the same profession i help others propagate self care those are great examples of how one self should evolve as as our own leader first and then project ourselves as leaders for others so thank you for what you do that's that's great thanks for sharing all of that uh, it's it's definitely a fun story for others to listen to as well you know from a kid who thought she had learning difficulties to a leader in the space that's an awesome journey you know congratulations on it and thank again thank you for what you do so a, a couple things you know alicia you mentioned um nursing profession could could get overwhelming especially if it is a situation like what pandemic has created mm-hmm. coupled with the shortage of the actual clinical resources and support resources that we have of feeling everywhere across the country how do you think that that shortage that burden that is now on the frontline workers especially the majority of the frontline workers being nurses how do you think that is being handled by the organizations what else could be done in your uh, you know views and experiences what else could be done differently with respect to just the workload um, of nursing profession so i have um i i have this principles i have four principles that i that i love to um either implement and live by for nursing leadership um it, i call it palms because we all have to be cheerleaders for each other throughout this process so for um in the p there's um there's a partnership order mindset and science and that first one is really partnership so what i see is happening is that nursing is having to rely on experts that are not in our industry we're having to go outside of our industry human resources is a huge one that we're starting to really partner with because like you said this nursing shortage um a part of that is understanding the global perspective of of what that work what workforce looks like period and in the workforce right now especially with covid-19 there are several several industries that are being hit hard um nursing is one of these industries where we have a lot of people that are second career nurses so they've done one career they come in as a second career they've done the leadership realm i've worked with plenty of nurses who were in business and corporate um before they went back corporate burned them out and all they want to do is staff they want to just you know be a staff which is wonderful fantastic and so looking at industries like our restaurants um retail a lot of these um uh, additional industries where we did a lot of face to face they're they're closing or they are moving into a digital platform where you don't have to have that so thinking about how do you partner with people or with other industries to be able to understand the analytics so that's our science side of that who is available this whole education side so there's an order to all of it and i think looking at um how do we educate people who it's just like the military you know when something happens everybody wants to join up i want to go to the military this is it this is the call right now to nursing and it's in this education how do we educate people who needs to be educated first there's a huge gap um that's expected to happen by 2025 for nursing assistants and allied health being able to have um you know these digital platforms technology so that they can at least get the foundations at home they're you know at home learning during online education and then partnering with hospitals you know to do their training 
But thinking about that, how do we educate people to come into this industry? This nursing shortage, it doesn't get better. It actually gets worse over, you know, over time and seeing those trends. We have to ask people if you if you're not a nurse, if you're not in this industry and you're interested, then go. You don't even have to go to a big four year school, any name brand. You can literally Google nursing education and be able to see some of those things that are um, available to you. And then to be able to actually go to even a local community college. After I did my CNA, I was at our community college. I first got an associate's degree. Um, I got married and had a kid, so we needed, and now it was like, you need to really go work some more too to help contribute. Getting the associate's degree was incredibly hard, but having that and being able to get my foot in the door, um, and then I, I was at a hospital that had uh, tuition reimbursement. And so working and being able to work in exchange for my getting my education paid for, and it is this mindset of, it is chaotic. Um, I've looked at several ads. I go through, there's my family. <laughs> I go through um, all of these ads for um, nurses that want to be hired. They're paying so much money now to be able to go travel and do these staffing jobs and things. And it's like, we have to tap into all of these resources. You have to use science. You have to look at the metrics. You have to depend on people that are not nurses to give you the answer. We don't have to come up with every single answer. If I can find someone out there like yourself that says, hey, this is direct shifts. If I'm a chief nursing uh, uh, officer and I've got to get this taken care of and I'm looking to my HR teams, I'm asking them, who are we going to use? Where are we going to go? Because we have to grow fast. And right now, the mindset inside has changed from how do you become the most effective leader to how do we become efficient right now in this moment? And what are the tools that we need to do that to actually replace? Not to mention burnout is serious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know? Just a quick point there, uh, Alicia. I definitely want to come and talk about the rest of the aspects of your principles and philosophy. But in terms of the capacity that you just mentioned, what I, in my experience, have observed also working with multiple health systems, um, you know, in my prior work, as well as through direct shifts where we help organizations and clinicians connect with each other to make hiring and staffing faster and easier. What I have found is sometimes there is capacity elsewhere and demand elsewhere. Right? Sometimes this place is hurting, but this place has additional capacity. Even if you localize that within a hospital, within a health system, you see similar patterns wherein there is capacity here that goes unused, but there is demand here that is really hurting. So, and you mentioned you, you know, technology and you know, you are a technology enthusiast. So in terms of trying to match capacity and demand, and in terms of continuously you know, playing that game in a balanced way. And nurses are the ones that usually feel the impact of when you don't play that game well, because they're either short-staffed or, you know, they're flexed off, they'll see all these things. So how, how do you think that, that scenario has changed over the years? Or is it getting better? What tools and technologies are doing to, to make it better? So I'm glad you asked that question. Um, that's actually one of the things, uh, a technology that I consult on is being able to understand 
who is going to be best in this area. So when we have an overfill in another area, instead of taking this pool of nurses that are highly intelligent and experienced and want to work, is there a way or a method to evaluate? Does the same skill set transfer over someone over to somewhere else? I may have never ever wanted to work in another department simply because when I graduated from school, that was a department that hired me. Let's say if you work in an ED and you think to yourself, I would never want to work anywhere else beside an ED. But uh, the product that I work with, um, we actually, I'm a behavioral consultant. I'm a behavioral expert for nurses. I, I study, I actually really study nursing behaviors and what that looks like. But what we found is through these metrics and through this science is a nurse that has a certain type of skill set also matches somewhere else. You might not want to go to the ICU, but you have you're an ED nurse and all of your skills and your knowledge go along with being in the ICU. ICUs are hurting right now. They are tremendously hurting ICUs and EDs. Or if you're a med surge nurse, um, we have a technology, it's called an assessment. We look at your clinical job knowledge. We look at um, your behavioral fit. How does your personality fit? And it's using predictive analysis. So instead of, you know, it's not eliminating anybody, but what it does is it says, okay, let's say that if we're partnering with you. You have all the nurses that are applying, take this. The hiring manager says they can go anywhere. And I'm willing because I've told you that I'm willing to go work and I will work in these five areas. I'll work ICU, ED, I'll work in the OR. I have PACU experience. Well, when I look at your assessment results, then that's what I consult on. And I see that you're knowledgeable, you look good and you feel good about going to this place. Now I can just move you. I can move you here and I can take those overage of nurses that have tons of experience and maybe a med surge area and I can place them in different areas where they'll be happy. It may be something new. I can, I can conquer that with precepting and training afterwards. As long as I have a nurse that's willing to, and she verbal or he or she verbalizes, I can work anywhere and they want to be able to have their skills evaluated. And then we can put them in these places. And I think, um, I loved your company because I've seen this methodology change. And I think yes. we do have to have this transformational period during a crisis where that old hiring practice, it's it's going, it's, it's leaving out of here. We have to do something else to really transform that landscape. Um, people only do what they feel comfortable, but when they discover that they have these additional skill sets, um, they'll go work somewhere else. And it's not always for money. It's just their level of comfort. I, I don't want to go anywhere where I'm going to fail. But if I tell you that you're going to be successful and here's the reason why, because you know it and, and yep. you can see it, then they go work somewhere else. They feel good. And you probably change their whole career perspective um, by letting them know. And they feel good about themselves. I'm, I'm now an ICU nurse. I never thought I'd ever work here. I was always yep. working on the floor, but I love being in the ICU now. No, that's a great point. Great point. I actually feel so passionate about what you just said, because you know, as a company, like, like you said, we are all about matching where the talent is versus where the requirement is. But if you're able to open up certain boundaries, relax certain constraints in order to match better, like, like you said, like, you know, should we always match an ED nurse with ED opportunities? Or if there is an assessment technique like yours, you take that and then really break the ED nurse into uh, the actual skill sets and capabilities that he or she has, and then start using that broken down approach into doing the real matching. That's the next level. 
I think, I personally think that this next level inventions, innovations, and evolutions has been fast-tracked by the necessity of doing this because of what the pandemic has exposed. Like I was talking to the chief nursing officer and director of operations in a health system where she was like challenging her own management saying, are you telling me that those oncology nurses and those clinic nurses that we no longer have any work for cannot come here and help us in some of these COVID tents and in some of all these things? No, that's yes. not the case. There definitely is a skill set that you can open up and really match them with the requirements. So we fully appreciate that. Having said that, quantifying some of those things and using them as quantitative parameters to do this matching and you know to kind of be able to move them is such a challenge. So enlighten us a little more on how do you actually quantif- quantitatively you know, do these things and then you know, use them for matching and then potentially expanding the impact of nursing beyond the boundaries of just departments. So um, we have a, um, at the company I work for is called Relias. Um, we have a proprietary technique that we use for validating the assessments. So there's a list of, um, there's questions that are clinical job knowledge. They are related to those. Um, and we actually had a consulting company come in and build those. This, this is about 20 plus years old um, of looking at those behaviors and assessments. So the more, um, it's, it's really like, AI, the more that we gathered about all of those nurses and their behaviors and skill set, the easier it was to, to really start to categorize, not them, but to categorize what do they bring to the table. So the way I look at it is if you have a, a nurse, basic nurse, I just came out of college, I'm ready to go, or I have one, you know, whatever experience, I am a bedside nurse. We won't call them basic, now basic is a bad word, but a bedside, a bedside nurse. If you're a bedside nurse, then I feel like then you're a frontline soldier. You're a frontline worker. I'm a bedside nurse. When you take these assessments and be able to see where does how does that fit in, it's just like they have a military test called the ASVAB. It, they tell you based off of those results, you have all the skill set and you have all these experiences that put you here in this area. You're in you know, battalion A and versus battalion C based on what it is. To be able to see that in action, I feel like that is where we use those analytics and metrics to say this nurse does not fit. They don't fit because you have to have, if you work in the ED, you have to be quick on your feet. You have to think fast. You, according to your test results that you answered about yourself, you actually like to think about things. You like to follow procedures. Med surge is most likely the place where you need to be at. And when I look at your clinical job knowledge assessment score, you scored very, very high for that particular assessment. If I'm matching that, now you have, and we have um, a lot of clients and partners that we work with, they use that as um, a passport. So when they're presenting staff to hospitals, they are saying, "This is these are the nurses and these are their passports. They can go, they can go. And it skips, you know, they skip out. Um, are you good at this? Are you gonna be, you know, okay? Sometimes I've hired people that had experience that I thought was really good. They got to my floor. I was a manager for acute inpatient rehab. It's a different type of specialty. They thought they liked it. They came to the floor within 90 days. It's too fast. 
I didn't know I was going to have to do this amount of work. I'm used to having two patients and now I have five because they were more for the ICU. They should have went to the ED or they should have went to the PACU where they would only have, you know, a certain number of patients. So to be able to have that information, it's like giving that nurse that passport. Um, and it, it really just says, just roll them. We know who they yeah. are. We know what they can do. And now they can go anywhere because they are a bedside nurse. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think if what you're doing is more than a passport, Alicia. I think what you're doing is you're creating a TSA pre-line or a clear line for people to kind of jump all the hoops and to be really able to go make their contributions faster, especially we cannot afford to have lagging lines and queues where the shortage is being experienced even more. So, So is it fair to say that there are more deeper competency mapping and skill set mapping techniques that can actually solve the quantity issue, which is breaking down. And I'm just thinking aloud here, you know, this is actually spinning my brain a lot. So thanks for this. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking at it the other way now, because a lot of times we all thought like quantity issue solution will then lead to solving quality. But what you're saying is, to break open the quality parameters even more, look at the actual competency mapping, skill set mapping, et cetera. And if we're able to use that to solve the quantity issue, some of the shortage could potentially only be perceived shortage, not a real shortage. Is that fair to oh, say? That is very, very fair to say. Um, I, you know, I do believe in technology and I believe that um, I've seen it for myself. I've experienced it just trying to get hired. Um, which again, you know, the way that your 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 company has the motto of being able to say that a person can just directly, I just want to work. That's all I want to do. And it is a perceived shortage because I feel like we're all humans, but we do have this bias where we are only we are we are really looking at how well can I work with someone. If I'm a nurse manager and I'm a hiring manager, I'm not working with them. I'm working for them. I'm working for my team. What I want to create is a group of people who understand our policies, who understand nursing practice, and who are going to take care of patients. That's it. Um, I think what I've seen is the evolution of nursing in healthcare has become a very, um, I would say, snag-driven or Pavlov-driven um, part that is it, it mixes things up. So nurses sometimes feel like if I do all of these things, then I can achieve this thing. There's nothing wrong with being a bedside nurse. I don't care if you have a doctor. If I had to go be a bedside nurse today, actually, I wouldn't have got vaccinated for COVID so that if I ever had to return, I'm ready to go. If I'm there at the bedside and that's what I chose to be, that is a very honorable um, uh, career path. There's nothing wrong with being a bedside nurse. And it's like first that mindset of shifting that we have to move up into management or leadership. Um, I've been on the other side. It's ugly. Sometimes you might not want to do that. It takes a very different type of person. So if I just want to be, if we have this per perception that I don't want to be a bedside nurse any longer, there's, some, there's nothing else. By having the ability to say, you know, it is, we are frontline staffing. We're using these products. We're using these solutions because we're looking for frontline staff. If you want to sign up to be a frontline staff person, we are extremely proud of you because you are going to take your skill set and you're going to go be deployed, flown out to wherever you're going to get to. And using just that metric of changing that mindset, it's not it's not bad to take care of patients. People need our help. 
And especially right now, those metrics, uh, looking at nursing processes mm -hmm. and understanding what's working and what's not everybody, epidemiologists, physicians, surgeons, everybody is depending on this data to really see, are these methods working? We saw very early on in COVID, the ventilators, that's not working. That's a special subset of nursing that is very, it has a high shortage because of that specialty. So just being able to, to eliminate that and say, you have this, go support this with this data and nursing process, being at the bedside and using these tech solutions and metrics to really get people out there. Um, I think we have to remove that. It's kind of a stigma. Like I'm a bedside nurse. So what? That's great. We love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. You know, in my, in my professional experience over the last many years, I'll be bold enough to say that I have seen nursing leaders to be more open to testing new methodologies than frankly, other leaders in the healthcare space. I mean, I can go on record saying it because I have the personal experience of doing yes. it. I've worked with many nursing leaders, CNOs, and they've always been willing to test and innovate newer models, of course, within the scope of practice and to make sure they're also expanding the scope of practice to kind of expand the scope of innovation. That has always been the case. So tell me more about how some of these newer methodologies that you're bringing into the space of nursing and the nursing leadership, how are they being adopted? What are the challenges that you're seeing in propagating uh, these kinds of models? Trust. Trust is number one. Okay. Um, okay. They have to, the first time we implement these, these products and solutions, it is, it is trust. Trust that um, we are not going to turn off their staff in any way by doing it. And the other is being able to trust, especially in health systems, that the method that we're proposing works. Even when we have case studies, even when you know we have scenarios, even with clients saying, hey, this worked for me, um, the ability, and I feel like you, this is brand new for a lot of people, even though they want to adopt it, just having that trust that the more they see their friend their partners, their sister hospitals doing it. The more we do things like you're doing now of bringing this information out to the forefront so they can learn about it, the more easier it is for them to adopt these new technologies and have it rolling. Um, the other is never done that before. Uh, we, we ask nurse leaders to manage. We ask nurse leaders to do something similar to what you were doing when you had your first job, and that is to manage a solution and to actually come up with that. And that's where I step in as a consultant and I we work with them for over a year and then we actually have um, a, a client success manager and account you know, managers that actually work with them to eliminate some of that stress that if this falls apart, I'm going to lose my job. Hmm. No one is no one no one has ever lost their job. We don't want anyone to lose their job and being supportive um, which means that I had to get adjusted to being the passenger and letting the nurses lead and allowing them to. Uh, and the other part is failure, um, which I struggled with coming into a corporate environment. We don't allow to fail in nursing. <laughs> we don't fail because it's a very different thing. But understanding that, you know what, this didn't work the first time. Let's come back to the table. Let's let's brainstorm. Let's think about it. How what what did we learn? And let's try this again. So it's yeah. that it's that failure and success and trust. Um, those are the two of the biggest obstacles that we have to get over. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well said. You know, one of uh, um, the nursing leaders that has been my mentor always told me, you know, see, listen, we don't, we don't talk about failure as much. Yeah. All we talk about is do more of the PDSAs until you succeed. You plan, do, study, act. You plan, do, study, act. And you repeat it, you repeat it. Nursing profession, I think, has perfected that whole cycle. Okay. Then you continue to do it and then, you know, you succeed. And you that's how innovation works versus, you know, constantly looking at it as, oh, this this failed, so let's do this one. Oh, this failed, let's do this one. So it, I, think, I think that's a great methodology. Um, having said that, I think that leads me to another thought, which is, in, in implementing, you know, nursing innovations and all this, I think technology has continued to play a bigger role. And you are a clinical nurse informatist yourself. You know, you know, a lot of the systems that the nurses have to deal with, you know, maybe simple EMR to, to, to the Pixels machines or, you know, you, you name it. There are multiple systems that the nurses have to interface. So how is, from an informatics perspective, how is technology coming together to help with the innovation of these kinds of call it skill mix or skill models is, is, is how is that shaping up? Oh, I think the EHR that really has transformed that landscape. Um, I think the, the deadlines that, that all of the organizations had to go to an electronic medical record. I think um, the pixels was the beginning and some of those other, especially a CPOE, the pharmacy, the, the pharmacy ordering systems and all that mm -hmm. were the very beginning. EHR now has nurses going, that's not right. I think we could do it better. And so they come to the table. Actually, um, it's funny that you say that. I'm actually a judge for a nursing innovation challenge that we're having at our company right now with the nurses that work there. And they're being challenged to come up with something um, for a product. And I think what it has done is it's STEM, even though we're science-based and this whole other side of STEM, I think it's integrated its way into nursing. Nurses are now saying, how can I solve this? Why does the EHR do this? And I used to, um, I was a trainer and I was a liaison for Epic um, at a health system for a little while. That was my first, I would say, I faced the fire through that. That was a very different experience. But that's when they eventually about three years after we implemented and I was still there and they would come and they would say, why doesn't the system do this? OK, so I had to go get certified to be able to to be a, an analyst or a consultant. So I said, this is why. OK, well, why? What is that? OK, well, this file is related to this. This is why you can have this on this dashboard. Well, can we do this? So they start asking more questions. And it becomes the opportunity where being an informaticist now was like a job where they would punch like the cards and it's so antiquated. So now it's a cool job. I want to do what you do. How did you learn how to do that? And I think they're being influenced to accept and adopt that Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn is built on the same premise that these technology apps and solutions are. These are the same brains that can tell you they look at your behaviors it can tell you what to do is the same way that we're looking at it in the hospital it's not to penalize you we just want to know what's happening so it can constantly get better all the time um so i think it's becoming really modernized it's really cool to see nurses that are especially those that are in population or public health um, be able to use those metrics and to to work with people like yourself 
to say, hey, Vamshi, what am I missing here at my hospital? And you bring me this huge, you know, all this information and data to say, hey, I think your nurses are doing this. I think this is what's happening because I'm I'm looking at your statistics. I'm looking at, you know, all these things. And this is what I'm going to say. And so to be able to partner like that with tech is awesome, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that that message, like you said, goes the other way around as well, which is the tech has to understand that if it is not by you, with you, then it is not for you, right? I mean, I always say this, which is if you're building something for nurses, has to be nurse participation is important. So buy them, then with them, we'll have get the feedback. Only then they'll feel it is for them. Um, so right. absolutely, I think I think that partnership, that collaboration between nursing and tech um, creates the whole difference. Now, you know, with with technology, you know, shaping up and you know, nursing profession really evolving, and as you say, leaders becoming more and more open. Uh, to these kinds of collaborations, newer models and all these things. Do you see a lot of this um, kind of percolating back to uh, the nursing education itself? I always wonder, you know, with all these changes happening now, like telehealth, nursing telehealth is a huge thing. I mean, teletriaging and no, no more physical nurse triage, you know, all potentially for a lot of practices, nurse triage is, is going tele. You know, there's a lot of nursing that is happening you know it has always been talked about then there's a lot of technology that is coming into the play there and then with a lot of these newer evolving models that you spoke about how is all of these evolution being packaged and incorporated into the actual education and training as well do you see a lot of that happening what recommendations would you have to the education training and cme programs to make sure a lot of this evolution is being incorporated into that as well um, the first thing I would say is go out and contract with nurses who are living the dream um, to be your subject matter experts, because this curriculum has got to change. It has got yeah. to reflect, um, as, especially like you said, with this telehealth and being able to triage, being able to use technology as a nurse to help take care of your patients is a newer model of, of nursing practice. And it does take education to be able to, the first thing is listen, um, to be able to see someone from behind the screens, which means we got to put this in, in nursing clinicals. So you may not be, my niece actually is graduating from nursing school. The whole time she didn't have, her clinicals during COVID were very, very reduced. So mm -hmm. a lot of things she learned just simply by a book, but to be able to have, I would say the another recommendation is really for schools to start investing in content, in real life-based scenario content that is engaging. Um, I think this, this tech, education tech has to tap into that user experience, interactive, how do you um, use simulation a lot. We use it in several areas of nursing now for obstetrics, um, but really simulation because these, you may not be able to go to a hospital. I mean, you know, you may not be able to have that hands-on experience until your, your, your senior year and it still may be limited. So the first time that you're actually working with patients is now pretty much like how medical doctors go through med school and until their residency, they don't see a patient. They spend four years studying and studying and, um, and they have all these different methods. So that would be my number one recommendation. Snatch these nurses up, put them on your team. And, and here's the other thing. If you're not in, if you're not a clinician and you're a healthcare tech person and you know how to do this and build genius, <laughs> yeah. you're a genius. You're ahead of the game here because this is what 
everyone's going to need help with these platforms. Um, I think there's a huge space right now to build these education platforms and to make them even better and even more robust for higher education and training. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think well said, you know, one of the guests on our podcast previously, the Dean of Social Work School in North Carolina State University, Dr. Karen Bullock, she actually mentioned the same thing. She was uh, because of COVID, we started to make sure all of our students have iPads and are able to kind of get trained on administering teletherapy sessions, you know, because yeah. we don't want them to go in the outer world without being trained on it. So that's where, you know, I was thinking with so much evolution and innovation happening in the nursing practice, in the nursing profession, you know, how should the curriculum really change to catch up to it? And, you know, the clinicals, the new grad programs, and then the clinical rotation, you know, a lot of these things is probably potential to incorporate more of the technology training so that they are better prepared as they come out of the schools to administer the real life care. Yes. And um, the other part, too, is uh, looking at those uh, healthcare statistics and being familiar with what those numbers mean, because if you don't know, it's not that you're going to make a mistake or anything, but just being familiar with this is what I'm on the lookout for. We're learning from COVID, how it impacts your respiratory. And we're learning from patients who have survived COVID that they are continuing to experience those things. But you need to be familiar with those statistics. And you need to understand, especially for advanced practice nurses, what you're looking at. Someone coming in with a constant cough, they had COVID. That's brand new. They may have had COVID a year ago. That diagnosis has now changed. Um, everything is going to be updated, I believe, like they're coding for all of those things. And people, um, we have to know and understand what are we looking at when we are making these recommendations as advanced care practice nurses also, what does that really mean? Um, and what type of, what? how are different communities going to be in, impacted by COVID? Um, not just, uh, and I, I love the social work, not just from a clinical physiologic, but mentally, what does that mean for your patients now? Are they going to stop coming to clinics? Are they going to not want to take medications? Just all of those different things that come up that, that is going to be necessary. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep, um, this is my pretty much last topic question uh, for today. Although, you know, Alicia, I could go on forever talking about multiple things with you and I'm sure I'm going to uh, ping you uh, after this as well. Sure. Um, my uh, my last point, last thought is going back to it, you know something that you said is very dear and near to you, which is the self care. Um, you know, it's not just the general population that has gone through the stress of the pandemic. More than them, I think it's the healthcare frontline workers that have gone through the stress of it. You know, this may be PPE problems or workload or you know, kind of understanding the whole scenario as. The protocols have evolved by day. You know, the frontline workers were the one adapting to them and doing all of that. In all of this, you mentioned self-care is something that you have started to practice and helped you grow yourself, grow your self-enterprise into you know, what you are today. What are some of those techniques? What are some of those recommendations, your personal experiences that you know you want to share with our audience or with, with you know the outer world there that has that has helped you, especially. Because we are seeing there is more anxiety and depression because of how the world has been reshaped. Having said that, the future is bright. I always think about it. The future is bright. I think we are all able to help each other. There is there is help available there. And for people to know how to help themselves is, is important so that they can help others. So what are some of the recommendations and techniques that, that you want to kind of project 
to our audience and others with respect to this space? Um, the, the very first thing, honestly, Vanchi, that I would say was um, I, I grew tired of myself. And when I say I was tired of myself, I just felt like I was in this point in my life where it wasn't that I wanted to have more material things. I just wanted to understand why I wasn't getting along with people, why people would say, or why would I always feel like somebody was doing something against me? It was just a very negative thought process that I would have. And um, I started to um, consider self-care when my, I have a really good girlfriend who was a meditation therapist. And she said, you know, if you just talk to me and kind of slow those thoughts down, um, I can kind of help you with that. And the very first thing that I would recommend to everyone is, are you tired of you? If, if you are tired of feeling exhausted, if you are tired of not even that's not getting your way, it doesn't even matter if you're tired of your job, if you're in a relationship that's really bothering you, I would ask you to first just, just recognize that you actually want to do it. Because that was the first step for me is I noticed all those things for years and years and years and I ignored them because I wasn't ready. And when I was finally ready to do something about it, that was that first step. It's just finally being ready and available. And the first, the, the next step after that was I studied anxiety. True, what is anxiety? I watch videos. Netflix is a good place for documentaries. <laughs> there is one that I watched on healing yourself. The body's ability to heal itself is a real thing. And even though I was a nurse and had studied it, I never went back and I always studied what happens to the body when something goes wrong? I never thought about, well, what happens if the body can actually do something about that? What are those processes? I went back and I studied how the body can heal itself. And it opened my mind to understand that it can only heal itself in a healthy environment. And what does that look like? I studied food, the foods that I was eating. What were things that um, I have a lot of friends that are vegetarians or vegans. And I would be like, okay, I don't want to be super skinny or whatever, but what do you get out of that? And one day one person said, you know what? Uh, it's the inflammation that comes from eating meats um, and bread and cheese. It's a lot of byproducts and it causes a lot of inflammation. It can really start to, um, it, it does something in your brain. I studied that. Then I, I stopped and then I noticed that um now I'm an 80-20 vegetarian because I need some meat sometime. But if I know, but what I noticed was that when I wasn't eating cheeses, a bunch of cheeses and a bunch of breads, my clarity, the way that I was thinking, I could work not harder, but I could work more slow and I would understand what was happening. And I'm in tech, you know for yourself, it moves so fast. Mm -hmm. Things change every single day that I really needed to, to understand what I was doing so I could keep up. Um, I studied that. That was it. Mind, body, spirit, food, how that impacts you. Um, and I started to think, uh, also look at countertransference of energy and how people's moods can impact you, accepting people for who they are and respecting that they can act how they want to act. And it was not up to me to change how someone acted. If I didn't want them to act a certain way towards me, I could I could treat myself better. And so I started, I mean, down to washing my hair, down to cleaning the house, down to how I prepared food, everything I did with mindfulness, with intention, um, and not for anybody else, but just for myself. What are those? And I just learned, and I wrote a lot in my journal. I had a lot of negative thoughts about myself. 
Um, and I wanted to dispel that. It took me about three years to get to this point, to even be able to say those things out loud um, and, and recognize why do people keep saying these nice things about me? Why do they want me to, you know, they want to partner. Why do they want to do that? When I learned the reason why, then I could accept positive talk and I could accept, I, I call meditation, it is a way for you to learn how to accept love. Yep. And that's it. That's the simple form. It's just a way for you to learn how to accept love. And that's, you know, love is a is a is a very different feeling when you can love yourself and accept that other people have that not maybe not even love for you, but love for themselves that they want to be respectful and they care. So Absolutely, absolutely. You know, well said, uh, Oisha. Thank you so much for that. And for all of our audience out there, I don't know how we can find a better example than have the challenges be thrown at you, but use you know your self-love, self-care, and grit to really get over all of them. You know, there can't be a better example than Alicia right here sitting in front of us. So thank you so much for sharing all your experience and stories, Alicia. I am sure we are going to be in touch. All I think forever as so much to learn from you and so much to to uh, really collaborate on. So thank you for your time today. Thanks for being the great great leader you are. Thanks for all that you do. And uh, thank you for your time on our platform today and sharing your stories with our audience. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Raj. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, uh, again, I would say nurses are just superheroes in disguise. Uh, I enjoy every, every minute of this uh, entire conversation. So if you're watching um, the replay or if you're hitting the replay or you can also listen to this on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you so much, Wamshi, uh, for an awesome conversation with Dr. Alicia Cornell. Thank you, Alicia Cornell. We'll send you the uh, links. And for all the other viewers, you can also catch the bites of this uh, entire uh, series or this particular conversation. Uh, and we'll send you the links. Uh, if you are watching the replay, again, like, share, comment and subscribe to our social media channels. Uh, this is your host, Raj, and I'll see you uh, with another episode of Directive Stories uh, next week. Thank you all. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.